welcome to the Fairview Alliance Church Podcast. We're so glad to have you here today. Our prayer is that through this message, you'd be encouraged, uplifted, and discover more about a God who loves you deeply and faithfully. If you're interested in finding out more about our community, visit our website, fairviewalliancechurch.com, or visit our Facebook page, Fairview Alliance Church. We'd like to take a moment just to thank you, the listeners, for sharing and subscribing to our podcast. Without you, it wouldn't be possible. Now, prepare your hearts as we tune into this week's new message with our lead pastor, Mario Catalan. Uh, I will start today uh, to sermons, to preach to sermons and a call to discipleship. I truly believe that as a church we have the necessity to grow and to uh, become more transformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And to do so, we have a great responsibility not to rest on our comfort zone, but start to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I will use a text from 2 Peter chapter 3, from verse 14 to 18, that is the closing of this epistle. And may the name of the Lord be honored through the reading of the word. 2 Peter chapter 3, 3, verse 14 to 18. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as a salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. As he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them, all these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant, in a stable twist to their own destruction, as they do to the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Now listen, verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. I want to repeat this verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Peter reminds us that true Christianity is the expression of the combination between faith and practice. As the coming of the Lord is coming close, we need to be found ready when Jesus Christ will come. We don't know when he's coming. He can come physically and uh, we will see him face to face, but also we can reach him before he comes back. God is in control. He's a sovereign God. And what is important for us is that we are ready to meet him. In this epistle, in first in chapter 1, Peter stimulates Christian growth. And then in chapter 2, to combat false teaching. And the end, in chapter 3, to encourage and to have a watchfulness in the view of the Lord's certain return. He makes this exhortation to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And my brothers and sisters, we need to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
Because only through that we can stand. We can find our stability. The strength and influence of the church is shown upon its commitment to authentic discipleship. We cannot be a strong church if we are not pursuing intentionally the purpose to become true disciples of Jesus Christ. There are so many believers. There are so many religions. And today you talk with people and you hear there are spiritual. Not too long ago I, I, talk, I spoke with somebody and I said, oh pastor, I'm a very spiritual person. And I said, can you explain what you mean to be spiritual? And the way that he talked about spiritual, being spiritual, was completely strange to what the message of the gospel is. And they profess to be a Christian. So we need to show to this world authentic discipleship. And as a church, we have that responsibility. Our church will become stronger when we pursue that authentic discipleship. It's not just coming in church. It's growing the grace. It's growing the knowledge of Jesus Christ. As the pastor was saying before at the beginning of the service, the objective of Paul's ministry was to pray for those believers that came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ through the letters in Ephesians to be mature in Christ. And in Colossians chapter 1, it says to be complete in Christ. And I want to challenge all of us this morning. How is our journey to maturity in Christ? How we are pursuing intentionally becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ? How we are committed to reach the goal? I pray that through this message this morning, we will see how this is possible also through Loving relationships that we have in Christ through uh, the fellowship that we have uh, in uh, the environment of the church. And the purpose of this series is to build up in our congregation a culture of pursuit of true discipleship. Where we can encourage one another to grow and to become more, more intentionally going towards the direction to become authentic disciples of Jesus Christ. And as a church, we envision that through gathering like this, but also through small groups that we want to build. So we're in an intimacy and uh, in very informal environment. We can shape one another and we can encourage one another to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So let me share with you some points this morning. First, the definition of a disciple. Who is a disciple? According to different dictionaries, the dictionary.com says, a person who is a pupil or an adherent of the doctrines of another. The Merriam-Webster says, one who accepts and assists in spreading the doctrines of another. Actually, the term that is used in the Bible as a disciple means a learner. Somebody that is willing to learn from another one. And... Uh, I truly encourage all of us to have a teachable spirit so we can learn. And it's interesting also. We call ourselves Christians, right? We define as Christians. But you know that the word Christians in the Bible is found only three times? 
First, in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, in the church of Antioch, where the people were called Christians for the first time. And then in Acts 26, verse 28, and then in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16. Christians are mentioned in this way only three times in the New Testament. Another word that he used is a believer, opistos in Greek. That means a person that believes in Christ, right? In this case, only nine times. But the word that Jesus used to indicate his own followers is disciple. And it's 261 times found in the Bible. Do you understand the difference? It's not just a label that we put in our chest and say, I'm Christian. No, Jesus intentionally says that we must be learners, disciples. It means that work with God is never confined in just a period of time. We are growing every single day in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's the ideal. And Paul, as he writes it to the Philippians in chapter 3, he makes, uh, he makes a very important point. He says, I forget all the things that are behind me and I portray myself. I push forward to know more Jesus. And when I read this passage, one of the first time, I, I thought that this was just at the beginning of the life of the ministry of Paul. But if you look... Already a few years passed by that Paul had experience in ministry as an apostle. So he had a lot of experience in ministry. Nevertheless, they say, I forget all the past achievements and I move forward for the future to know more Christ Jesus. And this is a challenge that we have as a Christians. We like to stay in our comfort in what we learned in the past and we stabilize ourselves in that comfort and we forget that there is more that we can learn. So that's why the Word of God is teaching us and is challenging us to be disciples continuously. Learners, until the Lord will call us, is not a season. It's not that you are going to attend a Bible school or a Sunday school class or a prayer, uh, Bible study meetings, and you learn a series, and that's it. You must learn continuously. If you are a doctor or another professional, you know that you are obliged to update your skills, right? Even in accounting, right? Every year, they need to learn new laws, maybe new procedures. It's the same with Christ. We must learn. We must learn more and more about Jesus, about his grace. We know that before Jesus was ascended to heaven, he gave us a great commission. And the purpose of the great commission is not to fill up churches. It's not to say, oh, we are good to make followers. The purpose of that great commission is to make disciples. And church, let's never forget that our major responsibility as a church is to make disciples, authentic disciples of Jesus Christ. If we are not intentionally pursuing that, we are failing in our mission. So may the Lord give us grace. May the Lord give us understanding, discernment, 
and now to reach the goal that we have. So if uh, the definition of disciple is a learner, then Jesus Christ is the standard for discipleship. It is my second point. Jesus Christ is the standard for disciples. We are not encouraging you to become like so, so, and so. We are encouraging you to be clothed and to be transformed to the image of Jesus Christ. It's a reference. Even Paul, that was a great man of God, he says clearly, be my imitators as, as I am of Christ. He reflects his own life and the life of Jesus Christ. And those believers who see him as a, their father or spiritual father are pointed out to Jesus Christ. Our responsibility is to be like John the Baptist. When he saw Jesus, he didn't take the glory on himself. But he pointed out to Jesus, this is the Lamb of God. And my brothers and sisters, when people are coming here in this church to worship the Lord, we are glad to see them here. But let's remember that they come not for pleasing you or me. They should be here and they come to worship the name of Jesus Christ. He is a standard for discipleship. Jesus Christ is the focus. Disciples open their whole lives. Open their own heart to follow Jesus Christ. And if we go back, when Jesus called the disciples, you have a different account. In Matthew, but in Matthew chapter 4, from verse 18 to 19, you will find Jesus with this call. You follow me. You follow me. There was not so much explanation at the beginning, but the call of Jesus touched so much. A person like Matthew that was a tax collector, a sinful person in the eyes of the people, that he just mentioned, you, Matthew, follow me. And there was such a power in the sentence, in that command, that Matthew left everything he had. The possibility to stay in that condition was giving him a, a lot of wealth. But the call of Jesus completely transformed and changed his life. My brothers and sisters, this morning, let's remember that the one who called you is not Pastor Mario. It's not the board of elders. It's not the denomination that we have the honor to be part of. But it is Jesus Christ. You need to hear his voice calling you to say, follow me. Follow me. You are not following a religion. You are not following a denomination. You are not following a system of ideology. No, you are following the living God. Jesus Christ, the one that was raised from dead. And it's coming again. And we need to be ready until it comes. So if Jesus Christ is the one that we must follow, the disciple walks with Christ in every area of his life, of our life, according to the character, the transformation that Jesus is willing to give us. So we can impact the world. We can have a say in this culture. And again, I believe that this church and the church of Jesus Christ at large has a lot to say to this culture today. We see people desperate. We see young people that are removed from the hope of their future. 
And we have the hope. We have the comfort that comes to know Jesus Christ. He is our hope. Christ is our hope. Christ is the purpose. Christ is the one that we look forward to follow. And um, because we are connected with Jesus Christ, if you go in chapter 15 of John, and I encourage you to read that chapter. It's a beautiful chapter. You will see how Jesus is calling us to be uh, friends of him, but also to bear fruit for him. We should bear fruit. In John chapter 15, verse 8 says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. How we can prove that we are pursuing authentic discipleship? Bearing fruit for God's glory. It's interesting here. In this, my Father is glorified. Now, if we are a parent, you are a parent, you know very well what it means to have a baby and see the baby growing, right? Can you imagine if a parents have a, that joy to know that they are delivering a baby and this baby finally after nine months is healthy, is born, everything went well. And then you see the little baby and you put in your hand and you, you go, 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 you beautiful you are and stuff like that. You know, those strange things that we do as a parent when we have a, a, a small baby in our hands. And then one year passed by and that baby is not growing. Two years passed by, three years passed by and you still have a small baby in your hand. That kugu gaga at the beginning is becoming a concern now, Right? It's no more funny. You are expecting growth from the baby. God, the Father, is glorified when he sees us, he's seeing us, the joy of growth. We bring joy to the Father and glory to the Father when we are growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. If we allow his life to become our lives, and we are changed, transformed by the power of God, which kind of fruit do we bear? First of all, the fruit of character. You know, today in our culture, and especially in the North American Christianity, we are looking for the supernatural power of doing miracles and performing uh, certain signs that will give us authority and then maybe eventually prosperity. This is a big word in the uh, Christian circle. But what about the power, supernatural power to see people changing in the way that we talk, in the way that they act, in their integrity, in the transformation that comes within the heart of the person. When you know that a person was evil, now it's changed completely, this will glorify God because it's a fruit of transformation. And if you are meeting Christ, you cannot be the same again. They must happen a transformation. You must change who you are. And then, secondly, there is the fruit of the... By the way, we influence others to become Christians. As much people that will see a Christian that has no power in a life that reflects Jesus Christ, there will be no transformation around you. If people, they know that you come in church, but you still lie at work, you're still not paying taxes. You still cheat on your wife, on your husband. You are not a good father. You are not a good provider for your children. How do you think your testimony will influence others to become Christians? 
If you live in a great zone, how people can reach out to Christ? They don't want to become what you are. They want to become better what you are. Right? So we will influence others only when we live connected to the life of Jesus Christ. Only then we can make others disciples of Jesus Christ. So, my brothers and sisters, as we pursue the desire to become authentic disciples of Jesus Christ, please, please, put your effort in connecting with Jesus Christ. Put your all strength and hope to become like Him. You know, discipleship requires commitment. There is a cost to follow Jesus Christ. You know, maybe this will discourage you. But I need to tell you, being a Christian is not an easy walk. It's not an easy walk. As a cost. As a cost. And Jesus himself asked to contemplate the cost of the price on following Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus is speaking about our personal interests and desires. When this conflicts with this call in our lives, there is a cost to pay. Again, I want to say clearly this. We are saved by faith only, by faith in Jesus Christ and the finished work of Calvary. But to follow him, it means taking the commitments and paying the price. Sometimes because you are Christian, you will be mocked. You will never be promoted at work just because you are Christian. You will never be given the position that you deserved. Only because you are Christian. But you are faithful to God. Listen what Matthew 16, 24 says. Then Jesus told his disciples. Again, he didn't tell this, he didn't tell this to other people that were not following him. To his own disciples. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. But it doesn't mean that we go and take the cross on our shoulder and we go. Taking up the cross it means identify yourself with the Calvary. With the sacrifice of the man that was offered in our place as a sacrifice for the atonement of the righteousness of God. It means that we identify ourselves with Jesus Christ. And again in Luke chapter 14 verse 26 to 27... Uh, Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Just yesterday I was talking with a, a brother that is here and um, he shared with me his frustration because he was speaking to a friend that follows another religion. And just because becoming a Christian for the friend was a, going through a lot of persecution, the friend pushed him away almost. Even if she was convicted in somehow. Because the love of the father, the mother, the brothers, the family was more stronger than the love of Christ. Let me tell you, this gospel is not teaching us to hate our own family. That's not the message that is in this passage of the scriptures. But it means that before our family, Christ Jesus 
must have the priority. Because one day when we will appear before the judgment of God, we cannot say, oh, my mother, my brother were not happy that I was following you and becoming a disciple. No, each one of us will respond individually and personally before the judgment day. And again, there is another verse in Luke chapter 14, verse 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. How many times we put a limit in following Jesus Christ because we are pursuing our own personal wealth? How many times we are stubborn and we dedicate our whole energy to pursue materialistic things and we forget that the kingdom of God should have the priority above everything else? Maybe we restrain ourselves to share the provision that God has given to us, to other people, because we want to accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. And not necessarily this means that we are thieves. The Bible speaks about a man. If you remember, this man was a hard worker. And uh, he worked so hard that his harvest was plenty. And um, he, didn't have, he didn't have enough place to store all the harvest that he had. So he built extra containers. And after the work was finished, he said to himself, Oh, look here. You achieved so much. Now eat. Enjoy yourself of everything you have accumulated. The Bible says, Oh, this is not true. You did it in a bad way. The Bible says that it was wrong. It was a foolish because his soul was asked to be back the same day. Do you understand where I'm going? You can accumulate as much as you want, but you will never bring back something with you in the other part of the world. That's why for you and I it's so important we focus in Jesus Christ and we try to increase the kingdom of God through our servanthood. This is very important. So Jesus Christ is the meaning and the standard of disciples, but also making a converts is different of making disciples. I want to clarify this. Today we have an imbalance between faith and practice, as I mentioned before. There are a lot of people that profess themselves being Christians, but their practice is completely different from their faith. Usually we say, do whatever I say, but don't do whatever I do. Something like that. I don't know if I quote it correctly. And this happened in many churches. We know the Bible. We have a beautiful understanding sometimes of certain concepts. But then when it, we are in the place to practice what we know, we struggle a lot. I read from uh, Growing Through Disciples, New Strategy for Producing Genuine Followers of Christ. It's a research that the Barna Institute uh, did. George Barna is a, a, a researcher from American Culture and Faith Institute. He wrote this that really touched me. He says, believers are largely, listen, believers are largely indistinguishable from non-believers. In how they think and live. The church has lost its place and the table on a cultural influence. Why? Because 
there is no more distinction between the church and the unchurched. Those who believe and those who don't believe. If there is not a clear distinction in our lives, in the way that we talk, in the way that we act, we cannot have an influence on our society, on our culture. And that's why the apostle is very clear in talking so abundantly in this passage that we wrote. He gave us some exhortation. First, be diligent to be found by him without spot, blemish, and at peace. You know, this is very interesting. You know, many times we pray for peace. How the peace of God comes. Here, Peter is associating peace with being without spot or blemish. I remember once, uh, I took something from uh, uh, a neighbor farmer. Almonds, believe it or not. (laughs) So the farmer recognized that it was me to steal those almonds. So I went to talk with my father. My father, he didn't tell me that he knew already. He just asked me, now you happens that you took those almonds from a neighbor. No, dad, I was here in this place at the time. I couldn't do it. So then because something else happened, I have to cover that lie that I say with another bigger liar. And I was troubled. I couldn't have peace because if my father will know that, and I will be punished. And more the days were passing by, I was consumed by that burden that I have in my heart that at the end I lost my peace. I was so troubled that I went to my father and I said, Dad, I have to confess something. You know, punish me, do whatever you want, but I don't have peace anymore. I have to tell you, I took the almonds. And my father looked with a smile at me and he said, Don't you think that he knew already? And I find that is the same way when we do certain things with God. We try to cover like God doesn't know. God knows you and knows my heart. He knows everything we do. We cannot hide anything. The psalmist says, where I will go far from your presence. If I go in the heavens, you are there. If I go in the deepest part of the abyss of the ocean, of the sea, you are there too. God knows everything. So let's be honest with him. And we'll have peace. And then Peter says, count the patience of our Lord as a salvation. God is patient with you, but not abuse that patience of the Lord. Then you, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of loveless people and lose your own stability. Around us, there are people that don't have the fear of God. They are loveless. They don't care. And they will try to absorb your soul, your behavior, in their own behavior. And let your stability go away. And then, this last exhortation, grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. is the antidote to everything else. Grow. Discipleships, flourishes in accountable relationships. This is very important. Since the Lord has chosen human agency to fulfill the Great Commission, God is using you to bring accomplishment to the purpose of His kingdom, to make disciples for the glory of God. The Bible says that iron sharps iron. You 
can shard me and I can shard you. It's a mutual relationship. And uh, if I look at the gospel of Jesus Christ, I recognize that the way that Jesus uh, had shaped his own disciples was spending time with his own disciples. Knowledge was given not through lessons or lectures, but through experience, through spending time together. Jesus has invested his own life in those three years that was with his own disciples. And the disciples invest their lives in Jesus. And there was a small group of people, 12 people, maybe certain times even more because there were women around them that were falling and provide for the needs. And Jesus taught them, but he lived with them. You cannot pursue true, authentic discipleship if you are not connected with other believers that will help you to shape your faith and encouragement in Jesus Christ. You need to be in fellowship with other believers. And as a church, that's why we envision gatherings like this, but also we envision small groups where you can be accountable, you can be taught how to pray, you can be taught and encouraged to share your discerning about the scriptures. And this is very important. I do reference it to the early church. The early church has gathering in the temple, but also had gatherings in their homes. And it's our desire our church, as a church leadership to go towards that direction that we find in the book of Acts. If I go in Acts 2, 46, I read, And the day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food and glad and generous hearts. They were in the temple. They were also in the homes. We are gathering here on Sunday morning, but also we envision to be gathering together the church in small groups where we can share in an intimate way the gospel of Jesus Christ, breaking the bread in their homes, as the passages say. In Acts 12, 12, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. It's Peter was delivered from prison. Where he went? In the homes where they gathered to pray, right? Then in Acts chapter 20, verse 20, Paul says, How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and uh, teaching you in public and from house to house, from house to house, from house to house, publicly, but also from house to house. So may the Lord bless us with this. May as a church, be challenged to, to apply the scriptures in this area of discipleship, where we can grow, where we can enlarge our vision of God's kingdom. And then, I want to give you some clarification about the small groups. We need to discern the most effective way to make disciples. That's the responsibility that we have as a leadership. And uh, as I've been in the ministry, uh, I've been uh, pastoring different churches in different locations, now, but I can tell you something. There is not one way to make disciples. Every church needs to discern its own way. It's not that if small groups will give you the uh, miracle uh, happen, that everybody will be a strong, authentic Christian. No. 
you know, I believe that through prayer and discernment, the Holy Spirit will continue to give us and help us to have ways to pursue a, a very important growth. Revival, church renewal, doesn't come through the small groups ministry. I want to make sure that, that you understand that point. Small groups are not the way that we look for revival. Revival comes from confession and repentance. When we humble ourselves before God, when we open ourselves and we make ourselves vulnerable to the Spirit of God, when we allow God to change us and transform us, if you think that you can be find a special blessing of God only because we have small groups, you are on the wrong path. We don't want to mislead you. The small groups will grow if people will be part of those small groups ministry. We have applied this principle of confession, repentance, and growth in the Lord. So this is my desire, my brothers and sisters. God wants more than a new ministry or ministry structure. God wants my heart. God wants your heart. God wants that we confess and repent. Many times we are not delivered from sins because we confess, but we don't repent. Confession is not enough. We must repent. Repentance implies moving from what you do wrong into what is right. If you are not moving towards confession or repentance, we can have a different, different ministries in our church to steer you up, but will never be happen that you will be renewed spiritually. True church renewal happens again as we bring ourselves before God and we allow this Holy Spirit to change us. And my brothers and sisters, I truly believe that it's time, that it's time that we allow the Holy Spirit to take over in our lives, in our families, in our congregations. I don't want to see just this place full of people. I'm not enough. I'm satisfied. I want to see people on fire for God. Authentic discipleship. This is what we are looking. As a pastor, I will fail if I will fill this place with converts and not with disciples. You must be an help on pursuit the desire of the leadership to make this church a disciple making church. That's our desire, my brothers and sisters. I want to read to you this passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, 16. I'm sure that you are very familiar with this passage. Something really caught my attention. Chapter 14, uh, 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers that is made in this place. For now I chosen and consecrated this house to my name and may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. I don't know what you find in this. Last night I was reading the passage and I felt as God was telling me and Solomon through Solomon 
You see, Solomon, you put all your authority, all your energy to build a temple for me, house is beautiful. I believe that historian says that this was one of the most beautiful building in the old ancient times. And God was pleased by that. But God says, what I'm pleased with is not with a building. I'm pleased if the people will turn from worshiping idols to me. If they humble themselves before me, I will live in this house forever. But if you don't do that I will destroy this temple and you will be mocked by the other nations my brothers and sisters we can build beautiful ministries idea and how many churches have been built here in North America or elsewhere in the world with the small groups ministry but this is not what is pleasing God God desires to have our hearts our hearts, my brothers and sisters, we must humble ourselves because it's the only condition where God can come and dwell in our midst. If we humble ourselves, if we change our ways, if we give ourselves and total ourselves to Him, He will change us. And it's not something that will happen in one day and then disappear. It's growing in that renewal that church is going through because God's grace so let me apply something final conclusion here authentic discipleship comes from a true conversion to Christ and again I want to repeat that true conversion not just coming to church you must surrender your heart to Christ confessing a repentance is very important then authentic discipleship is the process of making someone become like Christ and again, I want to say our goal, since you put your feet for the first time in this place, is not to make you a convert. It's to make you a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you are not interested to become a disciple, you are wasting your time coming in this place. I'm sorry, but I have to say the truth. Because as a pastor, I want to be intentional pursuing that goal to make you a disciple of Jesus Christ. And then, only authentic, transformed disciples brings transformation in their own world. Do you want to see your family change? Do you want to see your place being blessed? Do you want to see your business prosper? Be an authentic disciple of Jesus Christ. Can you stand with me, please?